and welcome to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Good morning, New Life. That song would lead you into battle, eh? Feels like we're getting, uh, getting ready for war with that one. It's great. Love the choir of voices there. Powerful stuff, guys. Excellent work. Sorry? Oh, hey. See you, girls. Take care. Thanks, Marco. Um, let's turn to the book of Titus. The book of Titus is in the New Testament. It's, uh, it's one of those sticky pages. It's easy to miss. Um, sometimes when you think about Titus, you're like, okay, I got to do the whole song about all the books of the Bible. And then you forget when you hit like, you know, John, you know, what's next? So Titus is in the back before Hebrews. Okay. We're going to look at the book of Titus. And, uh, what I feel like the book of Titus is actually saying to us today is on the subject of, uh, what a lot of people are on the subject of at this moment, which is new year's resolutions. Because we all want the power to change. We want the power to change ourselves because we want the better me. 2023, not a great me. But 2024, better me, right? So you're working on yourself. You're working out. You're eating better. You know, a little less YouTube, maybe some more books. You're doing some more actual reading with an actual paper book, okay? And you're thinking about all those things. But then we're also thinking about better circumstances. Some people say, if I'm better, if I'm a, if I'm a better me or, or 2023 was a good me, then my circumstances in 2024 have to be better. So I'm looking towards that. I'm, I'm working towards that. Only issue with this is that if we're honest with ourselves, we often have the willpower to fix one thing and make one thing good. We often find afterwards that there's another thing that we need to work on. And you might have the willpower to fix 2023 you, but the circumstances is out of your control. How do I change my circumstances at work, with my children, um, with my extended family, uh, with my school situation? How do I change those things where I get the power to do that? So you have to ask yourself the question, is the better me or the better circumstances the goal? Is that what we're actually after here in this life as human beings, as citizens of the Waterloo region? Is that the goal? Uh, let me tell you right away, I'll answer for you really quickly, it's no, okay? That is not the goal. Though a lot of those things improving might things make things better. And I'll tell you why it's a no. It's really quick. You don't even have to turn there. I'm just going to read it to you, okay? It's Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 34. And Jesus is talking to the people of Israel who have come to hear him teach. And he says, therefore, do not be anxious. How many of us anxious about the future? Therefore, do not be anxious, what, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
And he says, this is what you do instead, right? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteous and righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Can I get an amen to that? Right? And sufficient is the day. Uh, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So that's not the goal. Jesus is saying the goal isn't that list of things. What will I wear to be the better me? What will I eat? How many of you considered what are you going to eat in 2024 to be the better you? Not what you drink, because the Gentiles, those who don't even know God as their heavenly father, those who are outside of the walls of this um, experience as a new life family, as being children of God, they seek after those things. That's the way of the world. Many ways to improve yourself. But Jesus says, no, 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 there's one way. And it's just to seek first the kingdom of God. And what's going to happen? He's going to take care of the rest. So it's not a better me, right? That's not the goal. The goal is, really, how, how, do, I, how do I find the power then to seek the kingdom of God? To make the most of this life. If God is saying that's the standard, how do I reach that standard? How do I make the most of that? What does that look like as a dad to my two girls? for me to seek the kingdom of God. And where does a source of power for that to happen come from? Uh, I want you to look at, uh, we're still in, you're still in ties, so hopefully you have your fingers there um, or you got your, um, your, your scroll there on your, on your devices. In the book of Titus, it says this, very simply, that the power to do this is something that Paul said to Titus, you have all authority to preach this. And don't let anyone disregard you when you preach this. This is so important. Don't forget to remind people. Don't stop coming back to this. Yes, do a series on 2 Corinthians and then come back and do a, 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 do a study on the person of Abraham and understand this powerful thing that changes lives. Keep coming back to it because this is the source for life, to hit the actual goal, which is to do what? To seek God's kingdom, not your kingdom, not your better me kingdom, not your better circumstances kingdom, his kingdom. Let's pray and I'm going to explain a little bit more to you, okay? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for uh, the, the, the worth that is present here. And all I have to say uh, to the experience of studying this is here I am. Here I am. The better me is not enough. Uh, the better circumstances is not enough. I set it all aside now for whatever you want to do in and through me. And I pray that for this moment, for those of us who are hearing these words, that be able to also accept that and say, here I am to what you want to do. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking at Titus, and we're looking at chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, okay? And I'm going to read it to you quickly. And this is the thing. This is the one thing where, where, where uh, Paul says in, in verse 15, he says, 
Don't let anyone disregard you. Everyone's got to get this. This is the foundational thing. Let's get this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Titus uh, was left on the island of Crete when Paul was doing his traveling. Titus is a guy who's, you'll see his name um, sprinkled through the epistles because he traveled with Paul and he ended up staying on the island of Crete uh, to help build churches there. And Paul gave him this responsibility. In every town, appoint an elder, appoint a pastor, appoint an overseer of every city that they would be able to lead the people and teach the people how to understand his grace of God, how to seek first the kingdom. So he goes and he does that and he's having some resistance because when they go to these places, they go first to the Jews because the Jews will understand the scripture. So they'll go to the Jews and they'll say, this Messiah that you're waiting for, he has come. They believe and they continue on in faith and they become a church. However, unfortunately, there are still people in these congregations who are saying, it's not enough, the grace of God. God's grace is not enough. There's still a certain amount of work that you got to do to be approved by God. So don't forget about the law. Keep practicing the law. Don't stop, don't preach to people that they don't have to be circumcised, that they don't have to fit in with the Jews. No, 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 no. They have to still do everything in the law, even though this Jesus guy has come. So Paul has this heavy heart when he hears about this. Obviously, he's communicating with Titus. So he tells Titus, look, even if you look at the top of chapter two, you guys with me still? Okay, if you're looking at the top of chapter two, what is happening here? If you look down a very closely scan, Paul lays out for Titus, he says, starting with the top of the hierarchy, your pastors, instruct them. This is what you're looking for in pastors. This is how they should behave. Next, your, next is your deacons. After that, your husbands. After that, your wives. After that, your bond servants. This is how we want them to behave. And then the children, this is how we want the children to behave. And he says, all of this is found, is um, laid upon this one foundation and brings us right to verse 11. Because none of these instructions exist. None of these instructions for seeking the kingdom of God are able to happen if this one verse isn't applied. If people don't understand this one concept. And Paul says this, he says, for the grace of God, in verse 11, has appeared bringing salvation for all people. The verb bringing is actually not even in the Greek. In English, we had to add it. 
So Paul's saying it's a given. Grace saves you, not the law. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his giving of his life, by which you made a choice to say, I believe that he not only died for me, but was raised again to new life. That choice and belief does what? It enables you to not only die with Christ, your old self that could not please God, died with him, but it also enables you to be raised to new life with Jesus. So now you have a new life, a new source inside of you, a new spirit that wants to serve God. You want to serve God. Say, I want to. You want to serve God. Your emotions probably say different at times, right? But the miracle of the gospel is that you now have a new spirit that wants to serve God. This is what was promised in the, in the Ezekiel, in the old covenant, that this would happen, that we'd have new hearts by which God's law would be written upon, that our spirits would be devoted to him. And this is how we are saved, not by obeying the law. So he's trying to bring these people to this understanding that even your willpower to say, that is bad, I want to do good, I'm going to stop doing bad, doing A, and start doing B, that isn't even enough. It doesn't correct the dysfunction. We needed to have a complete heart change, not just a performance change, not just a behavioral change, but a complete heart save change to be won over and to be also in the presence of God and to be called righteous. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, verse 20 and 21 are so important. It, it, it was never what you could do, but it was what God did. He made you righteous. He's made you acceptable. And it saves us. May it reminds me of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10. You guys know this well. For by the grace of God, you have been saved through faith, through belief and trust. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You guys are all good Christians. You know this stuff. Why are we going over it, Robin? This is not helpful. I need the new stuff. Give me something new. I'm talking to a few of you here, right? Give me the new way. I'm, I'm sorry, there, there isn't a new way. This is the way. He is the way. What needs to happen in our lives then? We need to be reminded at times of the way. Because the world preaches more fulfillment. You have less fulfillment, more fulfillment. Go and get it. Let me give you multiple ways in order to get this fulfillment. The world says uh, you need to be more acceptable. 
And so they'll give you multiple ways. If you scroll, if you doom scroll on Instagram enough, you will find several different ways to find, to make yourself acceptable. But to who and to what? To every new interest and appeal to men that exist today? How is that even fair? What is true joy other than just to know that one thing and do that one thing? But instead we're presented with multiple ways and there's only the way. It's his way to seek first his kingdom and within that true fulfillment will be found. In that you have been made acceptable. There's nothing else to be done. Say, I'm acceptable. I'm acceptable. You're accepted by God. There's no more work to be done. It is a finished work. I think another word to use too, or something that in this world that we're always looking for is we're looking for more power. Someone's always trying to sell you how to have more power in your life. And I think sometimes the church fails in this category because I believe the book of Titus could be preached to multiple churches at this point in time, in, even in our city. That there isn't another set of laws of do's and don'ts. That discipleship would be the only way that you would merit whether or not a church is doing their job well or not. And how many people look and feel and behave like a Christian. So they give you new ways to do that. A new devotional. A new small group. Um, a new uh, discipleship class. All good things, people. Come on. All good things. But if it is only for the pursuit of the better me, more fulfillment, more accept to be more acceptable, to have more power and agency in my life over my vices, or even more power over people. That's wrong. That's not what we've been called to. We've been called to seek first the kingdom. And the grace of God is the power to save you, to be able to do this. This is why I just want to praise... I, I just want to praise our, our elders team. Um, this, this is why we have four elders who make choices unanimously. Because it's too easy to get caught up in the new ways. So we have four individuals who keep themselves accountable to leading a church in following the way that there's nothing else that will save you. There's only one person. There's only one way to be saved. And so we keep ourselves accountable. I mean, Josh is the wisest, okay? And I'm, and I'm the wild card, okay? And the guys rein me in every once in a while, okay? But we have the four of us to say, this is the foundation by which life change will happen. The power to change is in the gospel. It is in nothing else. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power to transform a life. That's my paraphrase. That's my paraphrase. It is the power to transform a life. So we need to safeguard this in case we try to find multiple ways to get more people in the seats. Multiple ways to look more impressive to the world. 
when we're only called to seek the kingdom. It's the only thing that saves. I want to say one more thing about this before we move on. Because you can ask the question, what does, what does Jesus save us from? Well, he saves us from our sins, right? Any of the kids downstairs could answer that. He saves us from our sins. Great. Past and future. Why is it past and future? Well, when you chose to, say, when you chose to put your faith in Jesus, right? And he saved you from your sins. Were you in the future based on the cross? The answer is yes. So all sins, past and future, covered. But another thing I believe it saves us from is stress. Not just sin, but stress. The stress of being completely responsible. Because Jesus is both the noun and the adjective. Jesus is responsible. You know why I say this? Because I want you to look at me really quickly. Just look down, right down to verse 14. Okay, just look at verse 14 with me. We're still in Titus chapter two. He says this, Paul saying this, who, talking about Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. The word possession is actually translated as the word special. And they put in possession because that word was often used to um, in Greek at the time to describe possessing something. But you are his special possession. So not only did he save you from your sins, but he saved you to own you, to care for you, to, take, to, to look after your today and your tomorrow because you're of incredible worth. What, would you, what are you worth? You're worth his life. So you are his special possession. So he is responsible for you. And sometimes we're anxious about the future because we see ourselves as being the ones responsible. I am responsible, so I have to be the better me. And I am responsible, so I have to have the better circumstances. But, but we forget that he is the one who wants and purchased complete responsibility for your life. The goal isn't a better you. The goal is a more authentic expression of him in and through you. And you're not just a tool to be used. You are a special possession. And he takes complete and utter responsibility for you. Sometimes the stress of tomorrow is what the gospel can save us from. We can accept that he has done all this work and died on the cross, that he could purchase you as his own and care for you and release the future. But anyway, we're going to talk more about that. Let's keep looking ahead because we see that grace could save us. God's grace saves us. But God's grace also instructs us. This next part is painful, okay? Everyone's like, yes, the painful stuff. All right, let's go. All right, this next part is painful because it says this. This is verse 12. It says, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, but it says it's, it's training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. 
I used to love this verse because I loved it because, because I felt like it, not only does it free us from the responsibility of having to train ourselves to be the better me, the better Christian. It sets me free from that because God, because obviously when I receive the grace of God, it implies that the grace of God is going to make me change my ways. When I receive his love and I think on him and I take his love seriously, I want to live out of that affection, right? And so it's going to change me in that way. But I looked at that word training and that word training is the Greek word pedeoso. And pedeoso is also a word meaning discipline. Often used in scripture relating to disciplining a child. So God's grace will train and discipline you. And we and an interesting thing about that word pedeosos is where we get the word pedagogy. Also where we get the word for pediatrician. But here's another tough thing. When I went back and I looked at the book of Matthew, you don't have to go there, but Jesus is talking. Um, he's, He's teaching the disciples and he brings a child and he says, you have to become one of these in order to enter the kingdom. You have to be a child. And there's two Greek words for child. There's technon, which is like a seven-year-old child and up. But then there's the word paidon, which is not an independent, you know, seven-year-old. It's a drooling, Crayola marker drawing on the walls, um, dribbling food on their bib, toddler. He says, if you want to enter the God, he uses this word, paid on. You have to be a dependent, weak toddler. This word training, not a nice word. God's grace will train you. It will discipline you. It'll show you how weak you are and how much you need The other word that's interesting here is the word renounce. It can also be translated as deny. It'll teach you to, the God's grace will discipline you, but it'll also make you renounce. It'll make you deny ungodliness. So it'll do this. It'll, I like the word deny because I feel like deny says that ungodliness is bad. Fine. But it's almost like a legal term saying, I deny the promises I deny the fruits of ungodliness. I see the verdict of ungodliness and I agree that it is wrong and I appreciate and I instead choose the arguments for godliness. And so when we take all this into consideration, the grace of God is doing what? It's bringing to light maybe ways that we have seen ungodliness be fruitful for us. Maybe we've seen worldly passions have a certain amount of return. And I'm not going to lie to you, ungodliness and worldly passions do at times have a, a return. And more often than not, it's an immediate return. And more often than not, 
though they are good, they have a negative consequence. So God wants us to look at his grace, what he's done through Christ, and what it's going to do is going to reveal possibly areas by which we said yes to the fruits of ungodliness or yes to the fruits of worldly passions. And that will make you feel weak. It might make you feel like a dependent child. It might make you feel like you thought you were strong, your willpower was enough. You might make you think like the flesh was what you needed in order to get what you wanted. But the opposite is true. The dissatisfaction that most of us experience in our daily lives doesn't come from pursuing the spirit, but it comes from pursuing the false and painful consequences of ungodliness and worldly passions. Now, Robin, say something positive to encourage me. Hold on, I'm coming, okay? I'm coming. Because I want us to reflect on this. I want you to reflect on this in particular. Chapter 12 of Hebrews, okay? Chapter 12 of Hebrews says this in verse 6. And this is Paul using um, Proverbs verse 3, verse, um, verses 11 and 12. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines. And let me stop right there. That word discipline is the same word that's used in Titus chapter 2, verse 12. It's the same word. Fedesos. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. The grace of God has that way of exposing ways that we've been living on our own ability to, to achieve the better me, to achieve better circumstances. And what we often find is that God is asking us to not go in the way of strength and go in the way that looks strong or appealing, but to follow his way that might make you feel a little bit weaker than you want to feel. But it's a better way. And it is the only way to achieve what he's called us to do. You know, uh, I'm thinking right now about John Wooden. He was um, UCLA basketball coach. And he had these really fantastic teams. They would draft them, and they were very successful over time. But what he would call all of these players who just came out of high school, and they were stars. They were champions of their high school teams. And he would get them into a room, and they would think, okay, John Wooden is this great coach. He's going to show me how to be an amazing college now basketball player so I could be even more impressive. And you know what John Wooden would teach them the first thing? he would teach them how to tie their shoelaces. He would teach them how to tie their shoelaces properly. And people were bewildered by this. And he said, so, so reporters asked, John, what, why do you do that? Why do you force these highly skilled, highly impressive people to do that? They should be working on their jump shots. They should be working on their dribbles. They should be working on their dunks. All those things are more important. John Wooden said that these guys 
if they don't know how to tie their shoelaces properly, they'll get on the court, they'll be tripping over their shoelaces, they'll be having to repair them all the time, they'll be pausing to do that when their shoelaces aren't tied properly, and it'll take them out of the rhythm of the game. And he said, this very basic, this very toddler-esque exercise of learning how to do it well and do it together helps them to stop and take themselves not too seriously, but to do it all together as a team will teach them how to work together as a team and also to trust each other. Because often there's a lot of ego that comes into that game and into that sport and into that team mindset. And so he's trying to bring them to a place of almost weakness in a sense to understand and learn how to grow and develop as basketball players. See, the grace of God requires what? Grace of God requires our faith. That's how we receive it. But for the grace of God to work in our lives, sometimes it does require that sense and a need for dependence. And so God's training what he might bring you into in a season by which to teach you how to depend on him. He might bring you into a season where maybe whatever made you feel strong wasn't actually called ungodliness by everyone around you in the church, but it was something that was a demonstration that you did not depend on him, that you could live independently of him in the completion of it. He might bring you into a season where he wants you to sense that weakness and to understand what it is to trust him in that season. So this grace of God is is a powerful thing that instructs us, but more so than that, we're going to keep going. I want us to look at the next thing, that the grace of God also empowers us. So let's look right now at Titus chapter 2. Then we're going to look at 12b. So half of that, verse 12, and then verse 14. So as it says again, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave us, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. So it says, not only does it save us, not only are we trained, but it also gives us the power to live and to live these lives of godliness, to be able to seek the kingdom and to be able to put forth, um, to, sorry, put, put a foot towards following the Lord and imitating him and experiencing the intimacy of imitation. I love the words that are being used here. Words like um, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Even though we might go through a season of weakness, the grace of God will give you the power to be self-controlled. To experience what it is to live upright and godly lives in this present age. And the next part about it that's so good is that not only does he empower us, that we also have hope for the future. 
that this hope for the future also gives us the strength to do so, that we wouldn't become lazy, that we wouldn't become idle in our righteousness, that we wouldn't stop trusting, that we would just let it be, you know, uh, something that we wear, like a badge that we wear, rather than something that is defined by our lives. And this was important for Paul to write this to, the, to Titus and to the people in Crete because apparently the people in Crete were at this point were being extremely lazy with their righteousness. But he's saying this is not the case. You, you can be motivated from the inside out to do good works. First, we know this by Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, that says that the fruit of the Spirit is all those you can name but primarily one of these words that are mentioned here, self-control. If you are somebody who is struggling, and maybe one of your resolutions is a form of self-control, let me encourage you right now. It's okay to have those resolutions. But first and foremost, let's understand that the power to live this life that God has called us to live comes from Him. So when we take the time to focus on the grace of God, focus on his love for us, focus on this great sacrifice and also our new resurrected lives, what can we find? We could find the power to be self-controlled. It's, it's present right there for us. And then lastly, I love that last verse and we read it before, but it says that we are now his special possession. We are his specials actually is the way it's, properly translated, who are zealous for good works. You have a new heart inside of you that wants to do good. This is the wonder of what we've been called to. And we want to live out of that place. And I'm going to give the example. Uh, I know, you know, Ross has given us a few times with uh, Tiger Woods, but I'll off the, I'm going to use someone different. I'm going to use Lewis Hamilton. Okay, anyone know Lewis Hamilton, F1 racer? Mm-hmm. Lewis Hamilton is a phenomenal, um, phenomenal racer um, and what phenomenal driver, I should say. And let's just say that you, and, and honestly, I'm terrified of it. I'm like to watch it, but I, I could never do it. I'm not sure if I like the high speeds, but someone called me and say, Robin, you got to go and do this. You got to go and race F1. This is what you have to do. And I'd be like, I cannot do it. I need Lewis Hamilton to teach me how to drive these cars. They're super fast cars. So I go to Lewis and I'm like, Lewis, show me how to do it. And Lewis is like, your brother? Sure. So what we did is we get together, right? And Lewis is like, Robin, let me show you how it goes. And I get in there and I can't even drive fast because I'm afraid of driving fast. And I go, and I'm kind of messing up the clutch and stuff like that. And he's like, Robin, you're not going to do it, man. This is not going to work. He's like, okay, don't worry, don't worry. Um, I'm going to sit, I'm, I'm going to be in your ear and tell you what to do while you're driving. So I'm driving along and he's in my ear. I got the earpiece and, and he's in the, like the, the ground control or wherever they are. And he's like telling me stuff. He's like, now turn here, brake here, clutch here, you know, um, spin that guy out here. Right. And then I'm like, Lewis, it's still not working because I'm still terrified. So Lewis says, no problem because you're a brother. I'm going to do this magical thing. What's going to happen is I'm going to use my magic. I'm going to zip you up the back. Okay. Zip you open. I'm going to jump inside of you. All right. I'm going to come inside and I'm going to animate you from the inside out. And you're going to jump into that car and you, I'm going to drive on your behalf. And so here I am driving, but who's really driving? It's Lewis. 
And man, I'm the winner. Like I win everything. I win all the prizes. Oh, that would be so amazing. Still terrifying, but so amazing. This is what we actually have, and not as a dramatic and animated way, but in a miraculous and powerful and real life way. And I believe at times in the church, we like to talk over this over time because it's a mystery that's hard for us to understand. But Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13 says this about our relationship with Jesus and Jesus living inside of us. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. Therefore, New Life people, you've been Christians for maybe a few years. As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation. Now, a lot of churches stop there. They're like, okay, work it out. Well, that's easy. I work out. You know, I, I beat my body down. I have the willpower to, to eat healthy. I have the willpower to be a Christian too. I could do all the Christian stuff and I could look like a Christian. And that's fine and good. But Paul goes a little bit farther and he says this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God's spirit, by the power of the gospel, by his grace, has come to live inside of you because you're not an unclean vessel. You're a clean vessel now. By the miracle of your salvation, by the miracle of what Jesus did on the cross. So he's come to live inside of you. And not only are you his special possession, he wants to now help you and empower you to express. Even help is not the right word. He wants to empower you to express his life wherever you go. And this is a great wonder for us to understand and to live out. So you are not your feelings. So I'm going to say that again. You are not your feelings. Because you have his nature inside of you. You have his spirit inside of you. And so at times our emotions can drive us to feel like we're still the old man. I, 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 I have, sometimes I have bitter feelings. I have angry feelings about my past. And so what I do is I focus on that bitterness. I focus on those thoughts. And that could be a way of me saying, okay, well, this is, this is who I am because I'm always thinking this way. And your emotions would, could pull you in that direction. But the truth is that because by the Spirit, by the fact that you have a new Spirit and His Spirit lives in you, you actually have a forgiving nature. You have a forgiving nature. It's natural to you to be forgiving. The power to forgive is in you. The power to release the right to retribution against someone who harmed you is in you. The ability to be kind and respectful, not to put yourself in harm's way, mind you, but the power to be respectful and kind with your words in the presence of those who've harmed you and not is in you by the power of the Spirit. You have that nature. 
And this is the wonder of what the grace of God has done. It saves us, instructs us, but lovingly he cares for us and empowers us to live this life. And we have so much to look forward to in a second coming that we can look forward to that. That is not in vain that we struggle through the training. That it's not in vain at times that things don't go out the way we want it. That he has an ultimate plan to rescue us. So I want to finish with this quickly. You know, Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 34 um, is, is our call to action. That we're to seek first the kingdom of God. That's it. Not a better me, not better circumstances. But the promise at the end of that verse, in verse 33 and 34, is that he will work out all those things. He will add on to us all the things that we are pursuing, all the things that we feel like we need. What are the things I'm lacking? You might be lacking today comfort. You might be lacking today understanding. Not enough people understand me. No one, no one gets what I'm saying. Not my parents, not my teachers, not my friends. No one gets me. He wants to supply that to you. He wants to be that listening ear. Maybe there's a lack of funds. Maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe it's concerns about being acceptable. He wants to be able to supply our need. But first, we seek first his kingdom. And he's going to take care of you. Why? Because you are his special. You are a special possession. And so first, let's do this. Let's do our best, obviously not to dismiss the things that we've been called to do, the things we've been called uh, to, to be excellent in or, or whichever, whether it's work or school or home. But instead, it's not about the better me. That's not the goal. And the better circumstances is not that either. But we release desire, we release control, we release responsibility of over today and tomorrow to the power of Jesus living in us and through us. And by the grace of God, by receiving that and living in and through that, we will seek first his kingdom. And all those things he'll take care of on our behalf. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the the privilege again to be reminded of the power of your word and your grace. And so I ask that you would affirm to our hearts these truths. Um, it's not enough to hear it, but it's another thing to receive it, to put it into action, to trust it. So in whichever way we need to take hold of that, I pray you empower us to do that. Ask us now in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.